Well, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for revealing yourself to us by it. And we pray, Lord, that as uh, we dig into it, Lord, that you would teach us and encourage us and enable us to serve you uh, all our days on this earth. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, uh, well done for getting here this morning. When I woke up this morning and looked out my window and couldn't see my neighbour across the road, thanks to the fog, I thought, might be in for record online attendance. Uh, so you've done well uh, to, to get here in the cold this morning. Now, uh, speaking of houses, some of you may be in the privileged or uh, fortunate position of having managed to pay off your mortgage if uh, you're a, a homeowner. Or uh, maybe you uh, once had a large credit card debt that you no longer have because you've paid that off. Or on the flip side, maybe you're someone here who, who has a large mortgage hanging over their head or a large some debt of some personal debt of some other kind. Uh, and you can imagine the feeling of having that debt paid off what that would feel like, the freedom that might come with zero debt. Well, that feeling of freedom that maybe you anticipate or that you know you remember when you uh, swapped your papers with the bank and suddenly the house truly was yours, that, that, that kind of feeling of freedom I want you to kind of tune into this morning as we think about the life-giving freedom on a far deeper level that comes by the Spirit to all who believe in Jesus, which is what Paul yeah, is uh, really bringing home in this chapter of Romans, chapter 8. He starts verse 1, Therefore, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, that therefore, a summary word that's saying, Therefore, given all that I've said from 1 to 7, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been freed from the condemnation that we were under because of sin and the law. And how has that freedom been won for us? Verse 2, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We've moved from bondage to sin and death under the law which brings condemnation to life in Christ by the law of the Spirit. But what is the law of the Spirit? Well, that is, I think, what Paul has been outlining to us this whole time, the gospel story, the story of Christ's death and resurrection and our union with his death and resurrection by faith which has come to free us from condemnation and the condemnation that Paul so vividly uh, portrayed in chapter 7, which we looked at last week. And you'll remember from chapter 7 that the law, you know, God's rules and regulations, they have a purpose, but they are unable to do the, the very basic things that we need. Salvation or justification before God and sanctification, making us more like God. The law is unable to do those things. Or, or it simply tells us how far from God we truly are uh, and uh, how uh, angry at sin God is and our inability to do all the things he requires. 
And Paul says, verse 3, the law was powerless to do, to do what? To bring us salvation, to enable us to live godly lives. What the law was powerless to do, verse 3, because it was weakened by the flesh, by sin, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, the law is kind of like a debt, it, it stands over us, uh, it owns us, it controls us, it begs that we uh, offer our lives in servitude and sacrifice towards this thing. Uh, and the law, it, it, can, it can be uh, like a large debt, feel almost impossible to break free from. But Paul tells us here in Romans 8, but now as Christians, we know that the spiritual debt is paid. And it's a debt that we never had the ability to pay. We could never work enough hours in enough jobs uh, at the right price with enough share options to, to, to pay this debt off. We've been justified through Jesus, saved and empowered by the Spirit for our sanctification so that we can become, uh, which is for us to become more like Jesus. And Paul has been at pains, hasn't he, over the past few chapters to point out that this salvation, which comes to us as a free gift from God, the grace of God, which we receive through faith, through trusting in God's faithfulness and Jesus' death and resurrection being for us, this belief in in grace and the powerlessness of the law to save and sanctify, this does not mean freedom to sin. This does not mean that the Christian has no interest in holiness of life or living as God intended. Of course, it, it is only because of the holiness of Jesus' life that Paul talks about in uh, verses 3 and 4 there, uh, where uh, Jesus comes in, in, the, in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, uh, he, he's only able to do that because of his holiness of life, that he lived a perfect life before God. And now, as Christians, we're called to holiness too. Not in order to get a tick in the box or to pay a debt that we owe before the Lord, but because we have the Holy Spirit who provokes holy living. And Paul goes on to contrast this, these two ways of living in verses 5 through 11. Spirit-filled living versus living in the flesh. In verses 5 and 8, he, he talks about the two different mindsets that a spirit-filled person or, or, a, or, or a, a, a living-in-the-flesh person have. Verses 5 to 8, I'll read them again. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death 
but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Without the spirit of God, we are unable to please God. And our minds actually focus on completely different things. But when we have a spirit-filled mind, a spirit-filled heart, it totally changes our desires. Suddenly, we want to please God. Our passions, our interests, the things that take our time and energy, if we're in the spirit, they start to become more like the things God cares about. And when we live with the mindset transformed by the Spirit, we start to experience true life and peace, like Paul talks about in verse 6. And so Paul goes to apply this mindset of a Spirit-empowered mindset, a living in the Spirit as a Christian in verses 9 through 13. He says, verse 9, that uh, when you have faith in Jesus... That moves you into the realm of the spirit and so you will have a spirit-filled mindset that brings life and peace. Let me read it to you. You, however, you are not in the realm of the flesh but in the realm of the spirit if the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Now, I wonder if you are here today and you're wondering whether you really have the Holy Spirit. What we see Paul teach in Romans 8 is an important and unfortunately often neglected truth of the Scriptures, which is that the Holy Spirit is a gift given to all Christians, all Christians who have faith in Christ. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. You you can't get halfway in this door when you trust the Lord Jesus and receive the free gift of grace, God's Spirit comes upon you and begins to change you from the inside out. That's not to deny that uh, as you go on in your life, you may have further and different kinds of spiritual experiences. Uh, that's not to die that that there may be uh, richer experiences of the spirit that you can point to times where uh, God seems more real and and relevant times where you have an anointing for for a certain task but the personal indwelling of the spirit is every single person who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus for their salvation's promised gift It's your privilege if you trust in Jesus to know Christ and to have the Spirit. You can't actually know Christ without the Spirit. And so the Spirit comes to the believer, the one who truly believes that Christ is Lord, that he truly came into this world and died and rose again. The Spirit comes and it gives life to our bodies to each of us who love Jesus. And it starts to change our mindset. 
But we also see here the tension, the tension of the Christian life lived by the Spirit. For though we are empowered by the Spirit, have a look at verse 10. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. We can't expect too much. Uh, we, We ought to expect perhaps more than we do, but though we're empowered by the Spirit, our bodies, Paul tells us, are still subject to death because of sin. Our mortal bodies are still going to die. And death is the fruit of sin, isn't it? And so Paul is not teaching us here that uh, when we trust in the Lord Jesus and when the Spirit of God comes upon us and empowers us to service, that we will live a sin-free life. No. Rather, he shows us that when we trust in the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of God comes upon us, we now have the power to start to overcome the sin in our bodies in the here and now. And verse 11, he tells us that uh, that's part of the process that we look forward to where eventually even our bodies will enjoy the fruit of this spiritual renewal when we experience physical resurrection from the dead, just as Jesus did. So, spirit-filled Christians who have our minds renewed by the spirit and our desires change from the desires of the flesh to the desires of God. Now Paul tells us, verse 12, that we have an obligation as spirit-filled Christians. An obligation, but not to the flesh, he says, but to the Spirit. Therefore, brothers and sisters, verse 12, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. We see again here, don't we? Paul does not expect that the Spirit-filled Christian will not have to battle sin. But rather... The Spirit will come and will will empower us and enable us to start to battle the misdeeds of the body. Not to earn our salvation, but to live as God intended us to live. The Spirit will come and give us the desire, the determination, and even just the ability to start saying no to the flesh. We have an obligation, he says, not to the flesh. That is, no longer, whenever uh, uh, we uh, find ourselves with a sinful thought or a sinful idea, do we have to indulge in that? We have a spiritual power to overcome it, to put it to death. But the question is, how? How do you... play your part in this spirit-empowered renewal of your mind and body in the here and now? How is it that we put to death the misdeeds of the body and, and live in the power of the spirit? Well, I want to 
suggest a few things and perhaps you have uh, ideas uh, too, things that you found helpful in your journey, uh, feel free to put them in the comments uh, on the internet or if you're here you can um, uh, let us know later. But I think, first of all, we ought to spend time in prayerful reflection uh, over our lives and over those things with which God's Spirit is starting to uh, cause us to realise are not of Him. And this is important because often I think when we find ourselves trying to put to death some sin and uh, the Puritans call this process mortification. Uh, it doesn't, we don't talk about this that much anymore, but uh, when we're in the process of trying to put to death sin, so often we try and shortcut the process and deal with symptoms, not root causes. So we might uh, realise that we're getting angry a lot and we think, oh, I'm getting angry a lot, I better not get angry a lot. Uh, I, I'm going to stop myself getting angry and I'm going to ask God to help me stop getting angry. And we kind of leave it in that space rather than spending time in prayerful reflection with God, with his spirit, trying to figure out why am I getting angry? What's going on on that deeper level for me? What's going on in my heart? God, bring your spirit uh, to bear on, on, on the deep, recesses of my heart so that I might truly understand my motivations and desires and the outworkings of those things. Spend time in prayerful reflection so that you don't just deal with the symptoms but start dealing with those root causes. Uh, I think a good example uh, for me in recent times was prayerfully reflecting on taking some time off during COVID uh, and realising that one of the reasons I didn't want to take time off was because I had stopped trusting that God was going to hold this church together during the crisis. Uh, and, uh, and so I re when I realised that, I realised I had no choice but to take leave uh, because I needed... To, to sort myself out and make sure that I was trusting God with things, not relying on myself. But I only figured that out through deep prayer and reflection. But, and the other way I figured that out was through uh, having people who I let speak into my life, which is my next point. You need to do your own personal reflection, but also you need others who uh, you uh, in, have, a, have relationships of accountability with, who will speak into your life. For the, the misdeeds of the body, sin loves nothing more than a secret. But deep relations, like relationships of accountability that invite vulnerability and enable sharing and, and prayer. Uh, these are the ways that God, by his spirit, can empower you uh, to really get to the deep heart problems and help you to begin the, that road of change. So be a person of deep prayer, build deep relationships, 
finally, don't just think about bad things all the time. If you're going to try and be a person who puts to death the misdeeds of the body, then make sure you also spend some time focusing on the, the fruit of the spirit, if you will, the good, the, 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 the new things that God is birthing in your heart and the new desires that uh, he is birthing in you. The, the life-giving behaviours that, that you now want to do. Focus not only on the bad, though that's important, but also on the good and putting those things into practice. Uh, don't just be someone who takes away, but fill up uh, with good, the good things of God. Well, when we're doing these things, when we're putting to death the misdeeds of our body, when we're allowing God's spirit to work powerfully in our lives as we deal with our sin and live by the spirit, the spirit comes and reminds us who we really are, why we're really doing these things. Again, not to earn salvation, but rather because we are children of God. Verse 14, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I think there's a, a, an important note of truth here for us that we, we, we do well to remember. And that is that as a spirit-filled Christian, you are special. You are a child of God. You are his son and daughter because you are united with his one and only son, Jesus. I think uh, as Christians, we, we can kind of be a bit, feel a bit shy about this truth. But, but the fact is that this is our special thing. We are God's special children. The Spirit has come on us and made it so. All people are made in the image of God and loved by God, yes. But it's only the spirit-filled people of God who get this special relationship, this deep and intimate relationship with God. Because without the Spirit of God, without faith in the Lord Jesus, you don't get the, 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 the beautiful intimacy of, of the fatherhood of God. You get what we were talking about a month ago. The wrath of God. And if you want this relationship, then the, the answer is clear. Stop trying to get to heaven by yourself. In your own strength. And instead, repent. Trust the Lord Jesus. 
and allow his spirit to fill your heart and to enjoy the fatherhood of God. And then, you and me and all who love Jesus, all who are God's children, we will experience some of that now and we will look forward to that time when we experience it all in its fullness. And while all this is marvellous, Paul reminds us that it doesn't mean life is going to be easy. And he's going to talk more about this in the second half of chapter 8. But Paul says there that becoming a child of God, becoming like Jesus, is going to mean a life like Jesus. And his life was a life of suffering that led to glory. And so too, our life will be a life of suffering that leads to glory. Being a spirit-filled child of God is not a pain-free life or a suffering-free life, but it is a true life, a debt-free life. In fact, it's the only way to truly live and never die.